The Fake Show Podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, now with two locations, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-Shirt Designs, Mr. Antenna, and by Banger Brewing in downtown Las Vegas. Now your host, Jim Tofty. As if you already didn't know, The Simpsons is the longest-running primetime scripted show in television history. The series has won 34 Emmy Awards, 7 People's Choice Awards, and 13 Writers Guild of America Awards, and it's just been renewed for two more seasons. Al Jean has scored 9 Emmy Awards and a Peabody for his work on the show after being one of the show's original writers since 1989. He is now executive producer and showrunner and I've got Al Jean on the line right now from his home in Los Angeles. Al, good morning to you, and congratulations on The Simpsons being renewed for a 33rd and 34th season. It's kind of surreal, isn't it? Yeah, you know, if we get uh, one more season, uh, the show will be 35 and it can run for president. (laughs) Well, by the way, with the pandemic... Did that interrupt production of the show in any way? Um, it totally changed everything, but thanks to especially our, our production team, we didn't miss a minute. Uh, we went on Zoom uh, March 9th, 2020, uh, and um, the sound people were so great about setting up uh, recording little recording studios in every actor's home. Uh, so we've been able to produce safely and continuously the whole time. And I have to tell you, I've enjoyed, since everything's been released now, I've enjoyed watching those very early episodes because the voices in the animation was kind of unrecognizable and just hilarious. Yeah, they're all uh, easily found on Disney+, Plus, which uh, has 100 million subscribers now. So uh, it's just funny to me. I go, wow, so lucky. And here I am in 2021 to be on a forum like that, you know, which is so fresh and so popular. Was there ever a point at, through the years where the show was close to maybe not being renewed? Was it getting a, a little uneasy at times? There were only two that I would say where it came close. One was at the beginning of the show, the actors did not make very much and the show obviously made a lot of money. So, uh, you know, logically they um, helped out after I think season eight uh, for uh, raise, you know, which they totally deserved. And uh, at that point, it was a little dicey. And then after season 23, we were told that if we didn't cut the budget by about 25%, that the show wouldn't come back. And I, you know, all the writers and I took like 11% cuts and the actors took cuts. Um, we had an episode, Holidays of Future Past, that we would have used as the last episode of the series had the show ended then. But now we're ten years past. So oh. um, that was those were the only two times I would say it was also very before it even aired. It was the first episode that came back was so uh, poorly animated that that was that was a real problem, and they pushed the premiere from September to December. Really? Oh man, that's incredible. Well, and I know that you. Yeah, the whole thing almost never happened. I know that you credit your mom uh, in past interviews for getting you interested in writing and reading and all that stuff. And your first job, I think, right out of college was at the Harvard Lampoon. Harvard was in college, and then I actually also worked for National Lampoon right out of college. And um, I have a little anecdote about that. My writing partner and I wrote a article about Thurgood Marshall. Um, it was like a how-to where he taught you how to write pornography, <laughs> as Supreme Court justices had to read it, to, uh, <laughs> to make their decision. <laughs> So Thurgood Marshall got a hold of this uh, out of context 
and gave it to the FBI and said, track down who wrote this. <laughs> 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 the FBI said, uh, we, this is a humor publication and there's a thing called freedom of speech, Mr. Justin. <laughs> I do, I do have a, I do have an FBI file from 1982. <laughs> oh my really God! Funny. It's pretty famous that you had the opportunity to write for the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Did you actually interview with Johnny? Yeah, I in the year and a half I met him three times. It was sort of like working for the Kremlin. Um, <laughs> right. I met him to get the job. Uh, we had a couple of times when he would uh, do spots where he had the writers come in and pitch. Uh, and he was always, you know, large in life. He was like, you know, meeting President Kennedy or something. It was just a really charming, funny guy. But um, when people say, what was he like? I-, I would go watch the show and you'll have as good an idea as I did. He was like the Citizen Kane of comedy. He was re- he really held back a lot of his persona from, from even the people that worked for him. Yeah. And was were you still writing with your, your partner, Mike? Mike Reese at that time. Yeah. We, Mike Reese. We used to write six jokes a day, 30 each for the that would maybe if we got five of them on the show. Um, and I learned there was a magic word at Carson that always got a laugh. And that word was McNugget. <laughs> that word in the show, you were guaranteed. And we, we put it in and sometimes Johnny would look at the joke and go, this makes no sense. But then it would get a huge laugh and he'd get mad at the audience. Like, why are you laughing? <laughs> yeah. It's funny when you see a monologue with him, when you look at some of those, it'll go, the joke will go over and he'll look like, well, that didn't work. It's, it's kind of strange actually sometimes during that monologue. The, the thing people would always ask us that would make us aggravated was, do you purposely write bad jokes so he can riff off how bad they are? And we go, no, right. We, we did, we did have a limited forum. Like he, he didn't, he didn't want to do things that were complicated or, um, out of his field of reference. He thought his audience, you know, they knew Reagan who was president then obviously uh, tip O'Neill, but you know, he, he didn't want to stray too far. So that was a little constricting, but we were trying to do the best we could in the conditions we were in. You wrote for 9 to 5 with James Comack involved, uh, who created Welcome Back, Cotter. I've heard stories that he was pretty difficult. You know, uh, that may be true. And actually, we were let go from that job. It was the one time I've been let go. Uh, but I actually enjoyed working with him. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what was difficult about that show was the movie was great and everybody loved it, but the show seemed like a watered down version of the movie. You know, instead of Dolly Parton, we had her sister who was very nice, but you know, Dolly's one of a kind talent. And, um, you know, Lily Tomlin's another one, you know, you can't just replace Lily Tomlin easily. Uh, so it, it was, it, you know, it, it was a, not a success for a few reasons, but it, I enjoyed working with Comac. You know, The Simpsons is such a well-oiled machine now. And in the early days, you were fortunate, I guess, to learn from the original showrunner, Sam Simon, and work with James Brooks. Yes. Well, that was one reason we took the job was because growing up, Mary Tyler Moore, uh, Rhoda, those were my favorite shows. And um, so to work for Jim Brooks was a dream come true. And Sam as well. I don't you know, just great work on Taxi. I was privileged to, to learn how to do my job from Sam, and um, I miss him daily. He's he's a real genius, and and uh, just as deserving for the success of The Simpsons as Matt Groening and Jim Brooks. What is the writing process like on The Simpsons now? It's similar to what it was then. Uh, there are two writing rooms. Um, one that I run, one run by Nat Selman, and uh, we just take an idea that we think is uh, emotional and, and a good comedy idea for a family. And we try to turn it into a, a 
half hour storyline that's that's funny and and you know appeals to the at heart and um you just work on it again and again and again and again read it with the cast we do that over zoom now um because obviously that's the way you can do it uh but it's still the same process and we just still work really hard on every episode and how was it that you guys would predict a trump presidency were you just thinking of the most outrageous thing you could think of no actually i'll say it was the opposite originally in that joke it was johnny depp and i don't know why it was changed but one reason was in 2000 trump was talking about running for president as a third party candidate under the reform ticket and um so as a celebrity as president it wasn't the craziest name to put in although now you know we get credit for being these these crazy oracles <laughs> but a lot of predictions that like people go oh you predicted lady gaga's halftime show and i go yeah we predicted it by uh, putting a parody of her show in our show. He <laughs> didn't read it. It's not really much of a prediction. <laughs> well, Al, the humble Al Jean is the showrunner and executive producer of The Simpsons, the landmark. Hard to believe. Boy, 700th episode is coming on March 21st. Al, it's always great to talk with you and, and uh, have fun with the next couple seasons. Thank you so much. All right, buddy. Bye-bye. And by the time those added seasons run, that would make 757 episodes. And I do mean that Al Jean is a humble guy when you consider the depth of his work that also included The Gary Shandling Show, Sledgehammer, and a lot more. That finishes up this episode of The Fake Show. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.